and all the time. So glad to be with you today. I was 18 years old. It was my senior year of high school, and I had just given my life to Jesus Christ. I've shared my story before. It's been a long time. I don't have time to share you know, a lot of my story coming to Christ today, but I will just let you know that as a young person, as a teenager in particular, I was very lost. I was doing the wrong things. I was saying the wrong things. I was surrounding myself with the wrong people. And I was headed on a path for destruction, not just someone who's rebelling a little bit in their teenage years. I was someone who was really headed to have a bad life. But then I met Jesus. I surrendered my life to him and things became different quickly. I had a bit of a holy optimism that began to fill my soul. And I began, there was transformation happening really right from the beginning. I started to let go of the way I used to talk and the things I used to do and the people that I, start, that I used to hang around. I started to let all that go and I could just feel this power of the Holy Spirit, this newness of life coming upon me. But then I kind of ran into a little bit of an issue. If you've been there, if you've let, let go of your past, it's wonderful, but then you have to find something to hold on to. You have to find a direction to head. And even though this kind of dawn of holy optimism had fallen upon me, I wasn't quite sure what I was supposed to be doing. Then one afternoon, I went to visit a, the pastor who led me to Christ. I was gonna go there and just talk with him, but this was a question on my mind about what am I supposed to be doing? Well, the pastor, he was in a meeting somewhere in, other than his office area, and so his assistant sat me in his office, and I waited for him, and I remember being in that room looking at his, he had an old brown wooden desk. On the desk was his computer, a picture of his wife from their wedding day. I remember the light coming in, and there was even little pieces of dust there in the air. I remember his built-in, he had built-in bookshelves, and there were so many books, so many books, and I thought to myself, has he read all these books? Who could read all of these books? And my eyes began to just scan these books. Some were old, some were new, and as I looked up at the bookshelf and I started to look up to the upper right side, there was something in that bookshelf that wasn't a book. It was actually a box. It was colored yellow and blue. And I could see some of the writing on it and I found out that it was a Bible study. I didn't really know a lot about Bible studies then, but it was a Bible study. The reason why the box was a larger box because it had a bunch of VHS tapes in it. And I was just looking at all at the box for a second and then on the side of the box there is some cursive writing and that cursive writing really caught my attention it was just a tagline for this bible study I, would, I believe it was over the gospel of john the study and that tagline said it all started with a servant it all started with a servant the only way I can really try to describe that moment and how those words kind of 
came off of that box and, and I read them. It's kind of like if you, ta- if you have an iPhone, you can take a standard picture of someone. It's a nice, they're very clear pictures now. But then you have portrait mode. If you ever take a picture on p- portrait mode, you can see that person just kind of come to life, kind of bounce off of the picture. And those words, it all started with the servant. Seemed like those words were meant for me and the question I had that day. And what I pictured in that moment was Jesus. This wasn't a Jesus who was filled with anxiety about what he should do. This wasn't a Jesus that was indecisive or or focused just like, how do I get to the cross? How do I get to the cross? How do I get to the cross? In that moment, I saw a Jesus that was saying yes to God. Saying yes to loving others. Saying yes to obedience and loving his father. In that moment, I could see the servant. And in that moment, it was as if God was talking to me. Like God was saying to you, saying to me, Michael, all you have to do at this point right now is say yes to serving me. When opportunities come your way, Just say yes. So that's what I did. Pretty much if anyone needed help, I said yes to helping them. That could be neighbors who needed their lawn mowed. That could be just something going on in the community. I would say yes. There were things going on at the high school. As a student, I had no involvement with these clubs or anything, and they just needed some student help. I would say yes, and you better believe at the local church, I was saying yes. Didn't matter if the women's group needed help or a men's group needed help. It didn't matter if the children needed help or the students needed help. It didn't matter who it was or the reason. If they needed help, I said yes. I was beginning to step up. And one of the things that happened during that time At the school, there was something called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I believe we have a Fellowship of Christian Athletes table out there today. FCA. I was not a part of FCA. I played football a little bit uh, in high school in my sophomore year, but I was not an athlete. Well, they were recruiting people just to come to their meetings. And so someone from the FCA simply asked me, will you come to uh, one of our meetings? And I thought not, I just thought as an opportunity to serve the person who asked, to help them to show that their leaders, that they were recruiting, I said yes. And so I said, I'll go, when is it? And they said, 7 a.m. on Friday. Not great for a teenager, but I went to that meeting there. Coach Brian Couples, the head varsity basketball coach, was, was uh, leading it. And I don't really remember anything for the most part that happened that morning. I remember it was super low energy. I remember some students were eating, but most of them were basically falling asleep at the table. But I was just there because I said yes. But then something happened. Coach Couples talked about something called a fifth quarter. A fifth quarter happened after home basketball games, on not every home basketball game on a Friday night, but every so often. And it's after that fifth quarter, they would have a time of testimony, a time to eat some food and play some games. It was a way to keep uh, kind of the teenagers out from getting into trouble after a basketball game and to have a little bit of Christian community. Now, even though I wasn't involved with the FCA, Coach Couples asked a question. He said, Y'all, I've been asking for weeks and weeks for someone to share a testimony that 
on, at the next fifth quarter here in a couple of Fridays. Will there anyone, will anyone sign up and give a testimony that evening? And something was different about this ask, friends, in this moment. My heart started racing. Ba-bump, 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 ba-bump. I started sweating, started to feel a bit of anxiety. Everything kind of faded away except for coach, coach couples. All the other yeses were easy. I wasn't sure what to do. All I felt was anxiety coming over me. But yet, maybe the voice of God in a new way. Have you ever had those moments when you're just not quite sure if God is asking you to step up? Maybe you get this opportunity you can say yes to, and yeah, there's a lot of coincidence there, but you don't know if it's from God. Or you start to question, wait a minute, my participation doesn't really matter. For maybe the more cynical among us, we may think, wait a minute, this can't be for me because if I go, I'll probably mess everything up. How do we know when God is asking us to step up? Well, let's take a look at the Bible today and see if it can answer our question. Well, this is our Superheroes of the Bible sermon series. This is week four. We have one more week to go next week. And what we've learned is that some of these remarkable characters of the Bible, they are powerful. Their lives are definitely complicated, yet they have something to teach us. Today, we encounter Queen Esther, the chosen one. So let's give ourselves a little bit of context this morning. It's circa 479 BC. It's over 100 years after the Babylonian exile where the Israelites had to leave their land. At this point, there was some Israelites that did return back to Jerusalem. But today, we are in Susa, the capital of Persia. Persia is the dominant empire at the time. And we open up the book to a man called King Xerxes. And King Xerxes is throwing two elaborate banquets and celebration. One is about 170 days. The other one uh, is about seven days after that. But this this entire two banquets that he's throwing are all about him, showing off his opulent wealth, showing off the splendor of his majesty, and quite frankly, it was an excuse to drink a whole, whole lot. Well, on the last day of this banquet feast, King Xerxes, who we find out definitely uh, drinks too much, and he is a bit of a pushover as well, decides that with all the nobles around and some of the peasant-type people around, he needs to invite his beautiful wife, Queen Esther, to come and join them. So she'll put on, ask her to put on her crown and show off her incredible beauty in front of all the nobles and all the people going, all the people there. Well, Queen Esther doesn't listen. She doesn't play the game like a good queen should. Instead, she says that, nope, I'm staying right here. Go ahead and enjoy your party. Well, this is a great offense to the king. And not only that, it's been, he's been offended in front of all of these people. So Xerxes, goes to, he gets into a drunken anger, but then he calls in his advisors to basically tell him what to do. This is where we start to see the 
pushover side uh, of King Xerxes. And he says, and the advisors say, listen, King, you can't have this happen. This is causing issues throughout the entire kingdom. So what you first need to do is you need to banish Queen Vashti. She needs to never be in your presence again. That will send one message. And two, you need to let, you need to send out an edict. And this is what the edict should say, that any man in his home should not be approached, basically that the man will be the king of his castle. All letters are sent throughout the entire home to say that basically uh, that no man can have his wife tell him what to do. So that is what is said there. It sends a message. And the broader message for us is that it is a don't approach me, don't mess with me or else type of message. The king does not, ultimately this is all about the king and he wants to make it clear that people cannot question him, that people cannot be disobedient to him. So that's what happens. He listens to his advisors. Now, after that, we find out that there needs to be a new queen. Now, the king has lots of wives, lots of women in his harem, but he wants a new queen. So he kind of throws a Miss Universe contest and the winner will become the next queen. And that's, why we, that's when we find our next characters, Mordecai and, of course, Queen Esther. So Mordecai is a Jewish man. He's living in Susa. And we find out that he has a young beautiful cousin named Hadessa, that will be Esther. And what we find out about Esther is Esther comes from tragedy. At some point, both of her parents have, been, uh, have, have died and she was lonely, she was in need of someone to take her in and that's what happens whenever Mordecai finds out about her parents dying. Mordecai brings her and adopts her into his own family. And we start to see that there's a close relationship that is formed between Esther and between Mordecai. This is like a father-daughter relationship. And Esther sees Mordecai as a godsend into her life. We have to see here that she loses her parents. She's all alone and Mordecai steps up. And what's important for us in the Bible here is that a genuine trust is emerging between Mordecai and Esther. Whenever Mordecai gives Esther advice, she begins to take the wisdom that's being poured into her. She is not like a teenager that's getting advice from their parent and it goes in one ear and out the other. She genuinely trusts what Mordecai is pouring into her, that wisdom. And not only that, she starts to live in a way that Mordecai suggests. When Esther doesn't know, what Esther doesn't know is God is using this relationship to begin to prepare her for something special in the future. So for her listening to Mordecai, receiving this advice, it is getting her ready for something that she cannot see. So how does that help us, friends? When do you know that it is time for you to step up or the time is coming? First, God gives you trusted advisors. God gives you trusted advisors. I was walking 
I was leaving the chapel from a meeting with staff on Wednesday, and I walked to my office. And outside of my office was a woman named Carrie, who's involved with our faith and friendship group, part of the leadership group. And she was uh, there preparing for stuff on Wednesday. Next to her was a young man who was, I found out was 18 years old. I didn't think I'd ever seen the young man in my entire life. And Carrie stood up and she came up to me and said, Reverend Mike, I was just walking into the building today and I met this young man named Brian. Brian is here because he is seeking God. And I told Brian that you're the man that he needs to talk to today. So I thought to myself, okay, that happened pretty quickly. That's pretty cool. So I invited Brian into my office. He sat down, offered him a water, and I said, look, let's just cut to it. What's going on, Brian? And Brian said that he believed that God was preparing him for something big, but he didn't know how, or didn't know what it was. And it's one of those moments I started to discern quickly. You know, sometimes we pray for people in our community that they would come to Jesus. And a lot of times that comes with us giving them an invitation and they actually show up here. But sometimes the Holy Spirit works in a different way to get someone here to church. And he was just having a conversation with his buddy that talked about like big plans that, you know, his life and maybe God's got some big plans. And he decided that maybe I just need to go to a church and talk to someone about it. So I said, so Brian, you think God's got big plans for you? And he said, yeah, I think that's what's going on. I said, well, do you know Jesus? And he was like, eh, eh. I said, well, that means you probably don't know Jesus, Brian. So I said, Brian, let me, let me talk with you a little bit about Jesus. So what did I do? I shared the gospel with him. I told him that you know, sin has separated us from God, but through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can come into a relationship with him if you ask, and then you can live into the life that God has planned for you. I said, Brian, right now, you can give your life to Jesus. If you just repeat this prayer after me, would you like to do that? And he's like, yeah, that's something I like to do. I was like, wow, doesn't get much easier than this. Let's go. So Brian there said the sinner's prayer with me, and he gave his life to Jesus that day. And when we got done with that conversation, I said, Brian, one of the first things you need to know if God is preparing you for something is that you have to get around good Christian people. You've got to come to church. I said, Brian, will you come to church? He said, yeah. So I got an invite from the church from 500 too. I got that checked off my list. That was pretty cool as well. And so I invited him to church. Brian's supposed to be here sometime today. Brian, are you here anywhere this morning? Wonder if you're here yet? No? Okay, maybe at 11 o'clock. But I invited Brian to church. And here's what I said to Brian, is that the reason why you have to get around good Christian people is because God will begin to pour the wisdom from their lives into yours. And whether or not you realize it or not, God is preparing you for something that is coming ahead. That's like for any of us, when we're in our connect groups here, there's some holy conversations going on, there's some great fellowship, but ultimately, one of the things God is doing is getting you ready for what's ahead. Or when you find someone here at church, maybe you just sit by them and you can feel just a connection with them. That's when you need to start to hang out with them, pray and get into the word. Something happens within that relational dynamic, within you seeking God and fellowshipping together. It's getting you ready for 
whatever it is next in your journey. And when we look at this story with Esther and Mordecai and see their close relationship, we start to see that God is about to do something, but it started with trust. Esther had to trust the advisor that God had given her. When we trust those people around us, when we're in these holy conversations, friends, God is preparing us for what's ahead. So if you have trusted advisors right now, you got some good fellowship going on, just know that God is working, whether you realize it or not. So when we get back to the story with Esther and Mordecai, Mordecai says to Esther, hey, you need to be a part of this Miss Universe contest. You need to hide your Jewish identity, but you need to be a part of this. Esther receives the wisdom for Mordecai and decides to kind of enter this contest. And guess what happens? Throughout it, it goes so well that the king of Persia is smitten by Esther. And then she actually raises up with a favor on her. And this girl from the streets, hiding her Jewish identity, becomes the queen of Persia. Now, there's a side story that we need to know before we get into the text here today. There's someone called Haman. Now, Haman is neither Persian nor is he Jewish. Haman is elevated by the king to basically be second in command of the kingdom. And this authority, this title goes straight to his head. And he wants to make sure that whenever he's in the presence of anyone lower than him, which would be pretty much anyone but, but King Xerxes, is that they must bow before him. I mean, give me a break, right? They must bow before him. But we also have to realize that this idea is there that we've already seen with Xerxes and, and uh, Vashti, Queen Vashti, is that don't mess with me mentality or else. Well, guess what? Someone's going to mess with him. Who's it gonna be? Mordecai. Every time Haman walks in front of Mordecai, the mentor father figure to Queen Esther, guess what? Mordecai says, uh-uh, ain't bowing. Now, Haman's not a man who's gonna take this very well. Haman gets into an absolute rage. And even though he has this great title, even though he has this great responsibility, even though he's second in command, he cannot get the disrespect that Mordecai has shown him off of his mind. So he wants to destroy Mordecai. Not only does he want to destroy Mordecai, he wants to destroy anything that even reminds him of Mordecai. So here's what he plans on doing. How about, since Mordecai is Jewish, I just wipe out all of the Jewish people? Well, how can he do that? Well, the king's quite the pushover, isn't he? So I bet you I can get the king to create an edict that says he will destroy everyone who's Jewish in his empire. And guess what? They have a few drinks, and that is what happens. They schedule a day 11 months later that all of the Jewish people will be destroyed. Well, Mordecai is going to find out about that, and that's where we find ourselves in the scripture this morning. When Esther 4, verses 1 through 4, it goes like this. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went into the city, crying with a loud and bitter wail, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. When King Esther 
When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Mordecai isn't the type of guy who, when he's really sad, is gonna go lock himself in his house and go cry by himself. That's not what happens here. Whenever Mordecai hears about this edict about him and all the people going to be killed, he goes out in public. He wails, he cries in front of everyone. And this begins to touch and get word out to the Jewish people. Now, obviously, in the text right here, if a people heard that genocide was going to happen to them, there would be lots of wailing and distress. But there's another idea that's going on within the Bible here, is that this wailing that's coming from Mordecai and the people is supposed to create a wave of grief. There's importance here. A wave of grief is supposed to be coming from the Jewish people, and there's a purpose for the wave of grief, is that that wave of grief is supposed to touch Queen Esther. Now, you would think, though, isn't Queen Esther's heart pliable? Wouldn't this immediately move her heart to do something about it? Well, friends, that's not exactly the case. Five years have gone by, and what we start to sense is that Esther has forgotten. She's forgotten about her past. She's forgotten about the trauma of losing her parents. She forgot, she's forgotten about what it feels like not to have people taking care of her. She's forgotten the plight of her people and she's even forgotten a lot about her relationship with Mordecai. No, friends, sometimes our blessings can make us forget about our, our personal past challenges and our past pains. And honestly, I think there's something kind of beautiful about that. Friends, there's something beautiful about that. We serve a God whom we may be carrying a pain that we think about every single day, a pain or a shame, something that surrounds us. But when we encounter this Jesus, when he brings healing into our lives, he can heal us in a way where we forget about the pain. He can touch our lives in a way where whatever happened to us or whatever he did is not the defining moment of our lives. Instead, meeting Jesus is. That is a powerful God, friends. But also, there's a danger in it too. How do you know when it's time to step up? When you can feel the pain of others. But now, Let's face it, who in the world wants to feel the pain of others? In fact, you can make a bit of an argument that you know God's trying to heal us, right, of our pain and keep us from self-inflicted pain. Why in the world then should we go get involved with someone else's plight? Why should we get involved with someone else's self-inflicted wounds? They did it to themselves. Why, friends? Because those who have been met by Jesus, those who have been forgiven and blessed by Jesus, were sent to help others. As Jesus said to the disciples, freely you have been given, now freely give. Now sometimes there's a problem with those of us who have met Christ and experienced all this goodness of God. We can sometimes forget 
And what is so wonderful, we're talking about the love of God and his goodness. God doesn't bash us over the head. Even, I mean, what an incredible God. Even though he's provided for us, healed us, blessed our families, he doesn't bash us over the head and say, now you gotta help others. But I do think he's like a loving parent in our ear a lot of times that tells us, you know what you should be doing. That loving voice. Feeling the pain of others is no fun, but friends, this is important. In order for us to be prepared to step up, we have to know the pain of others. Not long ago, I wanted to make sure my heart was truly in tune with the struggles of others. Now, I'm a pastor, and I have this great honor of being with people in some of the most vulnerable times, going through some of the most difficult uh, times of their lives. That's a great honor that uh, is in my life. And in those times, uh, you know, I'm a pastor and I'm a minister, and, and I'm grateful and I enjoy those, but there is always something asked of me one way or another as a pastor is that I'm there to minister. I'm there to help in the moment one way or another. And through looking at the collective kind of community of knowledge from other pastors and reading, you can get into a danger where even if you're doing good ministry, you're just doing it as a job. And so last year I said, you know, God, am I really listening to the pain of others? And I started praying. I said, God, would you just give me an opportunity where I didn't have to minister, where I could just be quiet and listen? And we went out, me and my wife went out with a wonderful couple here from the church. And during that, one of the persons asked me, they said, hey, Reverend Mike, you know, uh, I go to AA and I would love for you just to come and sit in and observe a meeting. Is that something you'd like to do? And immediately I was like, yes, prayer answered. And I told him, yes, I'd love to do that. And he said, okay, yeah, we can do it sometime in the future. And I'm like, no, 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 let's get it on the calendar right now. You're my answered prayer. And so one night I went to an AA group and I will tell you, I, <laughs> I needed it because I, could, I wanted to keep ministering, but I just shut my mouth and listened. And the men in that group shared some real heartache what it was like to battle through addiction every single day, what it was like to be struggling with something throughout their life. And I needed to hear from those type of people. And I really believe it got me in tune with their pain. I think it got me in tune with the heart of God and God's heart to people who are in pain. Friends, feeling the pain of others is important because it gets us in tune with the heart of God. Now listen, all you gotta do is turn on the TV or go on social media. There's pain everywhere and that can be too much. But if there is a place where you can go and just listen to others and their experience, friends, that's gonna get you ready to step up for what God has for you. Your life will be in tune with the heart of God and we'll be ready to step up and serve. So what's gonna happen? Esther's getting get word of this morning, and we start to wonder, where is our heart? About five years has passed by. Will our heart be tender, ready to respond, because God is going to ask something of her? Or will the apathy make her unable to be 
someone who God can use. And Mordecai urges Esther, basically he says to Esther, listen, you gotta do something about this. You gotta implore the king, you gotta seek mercy concerning his people. And Esther says, excuse me, Mordecai says, you gotta reveal your Jewish identity as well. And she just tells Mordecai, I can't do it. I don't know if you realize this, we haven't talked for a while, Mordecai, the honeymoon is over. The king has given me no other attention now. There are a lot more women in his harem. And especially for the point of our text today, if I just approach the king for no reason, if I go to him without invitation, I will be treated like any other man or woman in that kingdom. In this kingdom, what would that be? You get death. Mordecai, you don't know what you're asking of me. I'm gonna get killed right away if I go and I ask anything of the king. And what we feel in this moment is the pressure that's mounting on Queen Esther. If she approaches the king without being called upon, she'll die. If she lied, she tells him she lies about, she's lied about her Jewish identity, she will die. But at the same time, her heart hurts for her people. She's got this pressure from her father figure and from this mentor, she can't do it. The edict that's been put out is irreversible. What can she do? Well, here's what she can do, she thinks. I can stay quiet, I can hide, and maybe, just maybe, I won't be killed. Then Mordecai has a response to that. He says, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives, well, they they will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Mordecai, confrontational, direct with Esther. Esther, no excuses, no hiding. The responsibility, Esther, isn't someone else's. The responsibility is yours. And he says, if you are in this fantasy that somehow the king's edict will not affect you, you're wrong. You too will die with all of your people. You can't hide, you can't ignore it any longer. It's time for you to step up. Mordecai pleads with her to reflect a little bit, to reflect upon her life and figure out and think about maybe, just maybe, God brought her to this point for a reason. Esther, can't you see you're the solution to the problem of helping our people? Friends, how do you know when it's time to step up? When you can solve the problem. When you can solve the problem, you know that God is calling you to step up and serve. A couple weeks ago, I was leaving church about five o'clock on a Wednesday. That was the second day of our VBS. We had a wonderful VBS here. Thank you to the staff, to the volunteers. Thank you for bringing your kids, your grandkids, inviting kids to be here. We had over 200 involved. It was a wonderful couple of days. While I was leaving the building to go home, and I saw one of our members, Steve, outside. Steve was scheduled to uh, serve at our six o'clock, at six o'clock for our 6.30 going deeper service as being a greeter, just greeting people when they come in. 
Well, they had one car that was in the shop and his wife was supposed to be here at VBS by about five o'clock. So he went ahead and came with his wife, wife here at five o'clock. When Steve was outside, he told me all of this and there was all a bunch of people coming into the church, getting ready for VBS, had stuff in their arms. And Steve looked at me and said, you know what? I'm not on for another hour but it's time for me to serve Reverend Mike. And I saw Steve go over to the doors, shake people's hands, open the door for them, and help people in. Whenever I saw that, I thought, Steve gets it. There was a need to serve. He had the time and energy. He was the solution to the problem. He didn't wait until it was time to clock in at Christ Church so he could be a greeter. He saw there was a problem. He knew he was the solution. Thank you for that, Steve. Friends, when do you know God wants you to step up? When you can solve the problem. And what type of problems do we need solved in our community right now? How about the kids in East St. Louis who are in need of these clear backpacks? If you have the means, if you have the resources, we made it as easy as we've ever made it before. All you gotta do is go to the bookstore or go online to our bookstore online. You, for 15 bucks, you can get a clear backpack or 25 bucks, you can get one filled with items and we're gonna take them right to the Christian Activity Center so that kiddos can have these backpacks for the school year. We have seven different ministries out in Scripture Hall that are in need of volunteers and support. Ministries that are involved with overseas ministries. Ministries that are involved in the local community. Ministries that are involved here at the church, and if you don't see anything that connects with you today, guess what? We have the Connect TV wall over there. You can find out about serving opportunities or call the office. We will get you connected. We'll give you ideas to help be the solution to the problem. How do you know when it's time to step up is that when there's a problem and you can solve it, friends. Well, in our story, without hesitation, after Mordecai pleads to her and makes her reflect upon maybe, just maybe, you've been in this vehicle your entire life, Esther, and maybe it's now for time for you to take the steering wheel. Esther accepts the challenge. She knows her life purpose is now, that this is her defining moment. She steps up, friends, and not only does God deliver her and her people, God blessedly riches all of them, all because Queen Esther stepped up and served God over her preferences, fears, and her consequences. That morning at that FCA Friday meeting, I told Coach Couples that I would give my testimony and I was terrified. And a couple Friday nights later, we had that fifth quarter after the boys' varsity basketball game and Teachers and parents and students and athletes all went down in the cafeteria. The cafeteria, there wasn't a whole lot that was supposed to happen. I gave a testimony. We had pizza and there would be games. I shared how I gave my life to Christ and I just basically invited people to give their life to Christ as well. And I don't really remember much of what I said at all. All I know is I went and sat down. I'll never forget, I went and sat down and I looked at one of the basketball players, his name's Jeff. Jeff and I were good friends all the way back from second grade and I'll never forget Jeff. He had his hands kind of over 
his eyes. I could tell he was distraught about something. I knew I didn't have the words to say. So I just went over to Jeff and I just gave him, gave him a hug. And when I hugged him, he just started crying, crying. And I started praying a little bit and then I felt someone come beside me. It was one of the, another one of the boys, varsity basketball players and another and another and another. And before you know it, we had all the boys, varsity basketball team there crying and giving their lives to Jesus that evening. Amen, amen. Let's give God praise for that. Amen. But I share that with you, friends, not because there's, I'm special. There was a reason why all that happened. There was a reason why I was able to step up. Why? I had trusted advisors. I had people telling me for some time, you need to share your story, Michael. I had the pain. I knew the pain of what it was like running from Jesus. There was a problem in front of me. No one was sharing their testimony and I knew I had one that I could share. What was important was just stepping up when God invited me to. Friends, how is God inviting you to step up right now in this season? If you... If you are invited to step up in some way and you got the time, energy, and resources, the answer is yes, step up. If you're invited to step up some way and you really don't have the time, energy, and resources, it's okay, God will bring you another opportunity. But friends, my friends, if God is asking you to step up, bum, 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 and you don't have the resources, God will provide them. You don't have the time, bum, 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 bum. Make the time. You're scared, bum, 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 bum. Overcome your fear. Because I'll tell you this, you may not see why God wants you to step up. But once you do, God is going to send a great blessing on someone. Here's what we're gonna do to finish today. We've been having prayers for the Superheroes of the Bible sermon series. So you should have been given a card on the way in. If not, go to the welcome desk. They'd love to give you one. And let's just pray this together, a prayer to step up, Christ Church. Pray this with me. God, grant me the ability to discern when it's time for me to step up and be the leader you've called me to be. I put my fear to the side and I surrender to you. I ask that you call on me and use me to make a difference in the world. In Jesus' strong name, amen. Would the communion stewards please come forward? We are gonna share in holy communion, this holy meal. The table is open for all. all. Our ushers will dismiss us row by row in a moment. Let me say a blessing over this. Will you pray with me? Great God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for how you prepare us and how you love us. We thank you for the strength and the call to step up. May we do so. We pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit, God, on us here and on this gift of bread and juice. Will you make it for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ? Why, God? So we might step up and serve this world that you love so much. We pray it through Jesus' strong name in the church said. Amen. Amen.